Shut up with your male gaze. We could bring that in for anything we cover if we remember to. Don't tread on me, you laudanum addicted freak. Like if you were hungover. Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that's finally doing something it promised. <laughs> I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Amy Schneider. Uh, we're here to talk about the Regency period. Because as we always say, a Lannister always pays his debts. <laughs> Wait, are you a Lannister? <laughs> uh, I hope not. <laughs> or I hope so. I don't know. They had some good runs. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> nobody gets out alive. Yeah, true enough. Uh, except for some people. Who come back from the dead for some reason. (laughs) But you have to think eventually. Uh, Yeah, probably at some point. All of the Game of Thrones magic, in my opinion, seems pretty rickety. (laughs) So I think it's probably fine. All right. Anyway, so we are doing our first, I think, is this our first standalone fashion backwards? No, we did it once. Yeah? Like back, back in the day. All right, I believe you. Yeah. I have no reason to think that you'd be lying. <laughs> no, I remember doing it back when we were young and full of life. Cool story. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember talking about the Dowager Empress Sishi in it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. She was cool. Yeah, she was pretty awesome. There's right. just one in a long line of the biographies that you own that I read, like, the first third of it. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, I'm good. <laughs> I got the idea. I get it. Yeah. She was cool. <laughs> So anyway, we are talking about the Regency period to go along with our recaps of Pride and Prejudice, Mm -hmm. the 1996... Yeah, (laughs) we used to know that. We'll go with that. Uh, The podcast that used to know things. (laughs) That's pretty accurate. So we are going to talk about the Regency period. Mm -hmm. I will be doing fashion backwards-y things. And I will be doing Amy Repeats History-y things. This is the first, like, Amy Repeats History standalone. Yes, that it is. Yeah, so that's great. (laughs) At least it's the first of something. That's the spirit. I won't do things unless they're the first of a thing. (laughs) That's not true at all. I'm well aware. (laughs) So let's kick it off. The Regency period proper extends from about 1811 to 1820. And that is not a very long time. (laughs) No. I was, well, and I felt like a real dum-dum when I set out to research this (laughs) because it never occurred to me why it was called the Regency. Like, to me, Regency and its root word, Regent, had no truck together whatsoever at any time for any reason. Yeah. And so imagine my surprise to discover that the Regent George IV, who succeeded Mad King George of Hamilton fame, Mm -hmm. and also the madness of King George fame, yeah, also getting his butt kicked in the American Revolution fame. USA. USA. (laughs) And I was like... Huh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> what far, a great thing. As far as you were concerned, the Regency era was named for the Regency era. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was a real uh, defining the term by the term it's defining type situation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so some of the information I will be sharing dates back to the 1790s for the fashions kind of started a brewing. <laughs> At that time, due to ye old industrial revolution, mm-hmm. which really 
messed up a lot of people's lives. <laughs> but it's the reason that we have podcasts. Yeah, that's true. If you take the time and connect all the dots. That's right. Which we're not going to do. Yeah. That was really their goal when they you know, <laughs> invented the steam engine and whatnot. <gasps> If only we could listen to people who weren't here all the time, but also we couldn't talk back. <laughs> I, Zacharias, what a marvelous day that would be. That would really help my commute. <laughs> <laughs> so, the Regency is such a small, short, weird little time mm-hmm. that it means that Jane Austen exists somewhat outside of traditional literary classification Mm. because she is not a Victorian because she died about a year before Queen Victoria was born. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't understand why anybody would like try to lump her in there apart from the fact that there is a certain type of person who thinks all old timey stuff is Victorian. (laughs) I don't know why I blame the works of Charles Dickens. Yes. And then there's also, you know, 18th century literature, which doesn't really work either. Because, I mean, she really did publish most of her books in the Regency period. Mm -hmm, She mm -hmm. was not really doing a ton of writing at the end of the 18th century. Mm -hmm. And then the Romantics don't really include Jane Austen either because she wasn't a jerk like Lord Byron. You know, she didn't seem to have many feelings. No. (laughs) And, you know, I actually was watching something on The Great Courses Plus, Mm -hmm. which wasn't great. You know, I hear Karina Longworth really loves it. Listen, (laughs) how's that going, modeling your speaking voice on Karina Longworth? It's too ridiculous. Is it too ridiculous? Come on, give it a shot. Let me hear what it sounds like. That's blueapron.com forward slash remember. What if you like just sped it up though? <laughs> but that's not how she sounds in my head. Well, look. I'll start listening to her at like those one and a half speed settings, you know? Yeah, you should do that. Or like even for her, maybe three. <laughs> <laughs> she might sound like a normal human being. <laughs> <laughs> if you aren't aware of what's going on. <laughs> yes. It's understandable. We're referring to our favorite podcast, You Must Remember This. <laughs> and a couple of weeks ago, Amy texted me and was like, maybe I'll listen, like, I'll use Karina Longworth as my, like, feminine voice model. Yeah. I think it's a great idea. I understand. I think I think if you just listen to it long enough, something's going to happen. It's going to sink in. Boy, I can't wait for the Oscar-winning movie about this. <laughs> you know, like the King's Speech, but about you. Oh, much better. I know. <laughs> I mean, you're now Colin Firth. Was it Colin Firth? <laughs> I think in so. That? And Helena Bottom Carter? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Sure. <laughs> Man, time flies when you keep getting older. Uh, at any rate, <laughs> we're doing great. Yeah. The term is the term Regency is often used to cover the Directoire and Empire periods as well, which includes the period. Starting in 1795. So basically, it all has to do with the Napoleonic Wars, which we're going to get into. Mm -hmm. So the Regency proper Mm -hmm. is just this period of time where we have 
the prince acting as the regent monarch. Mm -hmm. But then there is this larger period when there's all this nonsense happening with Napoleon and everybody's (laughs) running around all pell-mell. Right. And everybody was like, well, we better just dress like the Romans and the Greeks (laughs) because we can't think of any other logical response to what in the crap is happening here. Yeah, so I guess England called it the Regency era because it was really the Napoleonic era, but they didn't want to give him the credit. Definitely not. Uh... Uh, one thing worth noting, uh, there is the Georgian era, mm-hmm. which I personally just sort of assumed was like revolutionary wartime right. only, mm. but it actually, uh, covers the period. Well, monarchs named George were happening 1712 to 1830, mm. but primarily it's the 18th century, specifically to Britain, and it mostly is only referred to for architecture. I've seen some furnishings referred to as Georgian mm-hmm. uh, because I enjoy creeping on used furniture in the <laughs> Bay Area, and I have a very good time doing so. <laughs> so that's a little about me, a little about the Regency period. It's how we do. Yep. So let us discuss. I do really like that. Okay. Anyway, (laughs) this is going to be rough because I've been obsessively shopping for sheets all day. So now all of the ads on the web pages I'm using for reference are being like, hey, Kelly, here's these things you wanted to buy. And I'm like, man, you know, capitalism is still around because it works, y'all. Let us discuss the hierarchy of the social structure In the Regency period, now I think, generally speaking, you have a sense of this from the works of Jane Austen, Mm -hmm. except I did not realize how many GD of these there were, because (laughs) it's very stratified according to occupation, essentially. Mm -hmm. So the upper class being the royal family, the spiritual lords, which I believe is the archbishops of various canterburys and yes, such the, the the bishops that sat in the house of lords and then high profile officers oh. so if you had a prominent nose you were one of them <laughs> the second class is baronets so basically i like this because it's basically like all of the titled people mm-hmm. except for baronets <laughs> they were like get out of here you have an extra et at the end of your name you can't be in our thing so anyway they get to be the kings of the second class of baronets country gentlemen and knights this of course being the class that the bennets and mm. indeed the darcys and the bingleys and the would uh lady catherine de Bourgh be in the first one presumably uh, because she's a lady I and guess. this this class includes knights so yeah, if you're a lady yeah, i would seem right i would assume listen i'm not going to research this further good <laughs> <laughs> We're here to give you some of the information you are curious about. The third class is doctors, bankers, clergymen, and various large-scale... Doesn't finish the sentence. Don't know what that means. Large-scale what? Whales, perhaps? I don't know. So this is the class that Mr. Collins is in, Mm -hmm. which this was a bit surprising, although I guess it shouldn't have been, Mm -hmm. because we know that Mr. Wickham was meant to join the clergy, Mm. which is like, well, you know, you're not as good as Mr. Darcy, Mm -hmm. but uh, you can hang out with these guys. Yeah. Go to a poker night with a doctor, a banker, and a lawyer. Uh, Have a good time. (laughs) Yeah. Just all make fun of you. Yeah. As indeed. 
They do. <laughs> so the fourth class is lawyers, teachers, ship owners, artists, and builders. It also just says second class. I'm beginning to think that this website is not great. <laughs> but it is reminding me that I wanted to buy a cape. <laughs> you know a good place to buy a cape <laughs> let me know i want something that'll like keep the rain off but not get that like gamey wool smell you're like uh titus when that medical cape store closed <laughs> carol no <laughs> i had that in my head all day yeah next up is the fifth class surprisingly enough follows the fourth class <laughs> sure it's shopkeepers innkeepers publicans and persons <laughs> I don't know what a person is apart from uh, Thomas Cromwell. Right. But <laughs> great job, whoever wrote this. Mm. www.hierarchystructure.com <laughs> slash regency dash period dash social hierarchy <laughs> slash. Sixth class is craftsmen, working mechanics, and the agricultural laborers. So we don't really meet anybody in the fifth or sixth class. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think they say anything about the people who run the inns that various people stay at. Not really. Like, you know, not not the ones that run it, no. Like, there's a couple of the inn maids or whatever. That, yeah. Yeah. So then there's the seventh class, paupers, vagrants, and gypsies. <laughs> so I would actually, you know what? I would really like to read a Regency-era novel about paupers vagrants and gypsies and if there's not one out there perhaps i should write it look i can't be bothered to do research or buy a cape in a reasonable amount of time i don't know how i could write that but here we are so then we have the military hierarchy Mm. which is all kind of equal but also kind of not equal. Uh-huh. Now, what they all have in common is that they can move freely through all of these social classes. Mm. They can hang out with anyone at any time. However, if you even are... gypsies? Even, well, probably, <laughs> especially gypsies. But, oh my God, I just remember that Peaky Blinders is coming back. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. Get your black Madonnas out, everybody. Um <laughs> So if you're hanging out with the paupers, vagrants, and gypsies, I'm guessing the first uh, probably at least four classes <laughs> aren't going to want to have much to do with you. Sure, I'm sure you could make it happen, but it's eventually going to turn into a farce to rival the great Frasier, <laughs> where you're like slamming doors and being like, that's not my gypsy. <laughs> Uh, but they are then broken down into these five categories. Commissioned officers, of course, being the toffs Mm -hmm. who just get to go straight from, you know, basic training into being an asshole. Yeah. Non-commissioned officers who are people who have to like work hard and do stuff. (laughs) Soldiers, you know, just these guys. Seamen. (laughs) (laughs) And then Marines and pensioners. Do you know what a pensioner is? It's just like an you know an ex soldier. It's it's either you're um, just sort of retired and drawing a pension, or if you're an officer and like there's peace or whatever, and they don't need you, mm-hmm. they'll just say, okay, you're on. You get half pay, but you can't. You know, you don't get any work. That sounds great. 
Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> I mean, you also don't get like, you know, food and lodging on ship like you did. So that can be a real. Well, that's where the gypsies come in handy. <laughs> and the vagrants. <laughs> Right. The paupers, not so much. Rarely do they have food. <laughs> really, their whole thing. <laughs> At any rate, uh, that is, in a nutshell, social hierarchies. Let me see if I have forgotten anything. Or if perhaps this other website finishes any sentences <laughs> so we can find out which large-scale things and those persons <laughs> who might be involved. Ah, here we go. I believe that the first website ripped this off very poorly. Uh, (laughs) So I believe the thing that they didn't complete was others with large incomes. So I'm assuming Uh, that meant large scale farmers, businessmen, what have you. Sure. Uh, And then the fourth class includes persons of moderate income. Uh Uh-huh. Ooh, lesser freeholders. That's fun. I want to be a freeholder rather than a freeloader. Uh, yeah, good luck in the Bay Area. I'd hold all the capes I could hold. <laughs> oh, my goodness. At any rate, <laughs> so we were able to complete those things. And that is social hierarchies. Okay. So I'm now going to turn it over, now that we know what the regent is Mm -hmm. and to whom it refers. That's right. Amy is going to tell us more about George IV of the United Kingdom, who I should have known more about, for he is one of the main characters in a series of Black Hatter. Uh, Yeah. Well, you know, (laughs) he's... uh He's quite a character. He is, that's my favorite series of Blackadder for that reason. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, George IV, uh, he um, was – here's what you can say that's good about him. Uh, he was very stylish, and everybody liked that. Now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like me that time? <laughs> sure. Um, I'm kidding. I'm wearing a sweatshirt. Yeah, uh, he was largely known for having tons of mistresses and racking up tons of debts. Like me that time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could only dream. So, oh man, w- well, but my li- credit limit—it's so high. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, so jo- when George the Fourth turned twenty-one, he was given sixty thousand pounds as well as fifty thousand pounds a year uh, allotment or whatever. From okay, the you said sixty thousand pounds. Like he was just given a lump that. sum of sixty thousand. Yes, and then every year after that, mm-hmm. he got fifty thousand. So it's like he got a sign-on bonus of ten thousand pounds. Yes, and then every year after that, mm-hmm. he'd get fifty thousand pounds. That's from right. the Parliament. Yes. Why? Uh, because he was uh, royal. Okay, so they just, like, pay him to be around. Yeah, basically. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and be stylish and have mistresses. <laughs> well, they weren't so fond of that. <laughs> uh, but that's what princes do. Yeah. It's no, like they never saw into the woods. Yeah. <laughs> so 50,000 pounds, that's about the equivalent of five and a half million pounds per year. Today. Okay. How much dollars is that, would you say? I feel like it's like two to one, so that'd be like $10 million, but Ooh, I'm really not sure. What about in euros? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what about in uh, yens? <laughs> really don't know. I'm kidding. The plural of yen is yen. Yeah. I you're, tricked you. You're not a rube. Well, <laughs> 
So anyway, uh, yeah, five, five and a half. I'm like, say that to me when I'm the owner of five capes. <laughs> <laughs> a fool for capes. Yes. The Kelly Anakin story. Uh, I hope everyone's enjoying this cape bit. Because <laughs> there's a lot of it that's happened already. <laughs> yeah, they're stuck with it now. Uh, so again, getting five million pounds a I year. I believe in a thing called capes. <laughs> Listen, I had caffeine maybe in the afternoon when I shouldn't have. It's beginning to look that way. Yeah, I know. But I knew I needed to bring my A game for this (laughs) podcast. So I was like, drug it up, druggy. Yeah. Don't do drugs. So uh, the 50,000 pounds a year, four years later, uh, he had debts of 161,000 pounds. Okay, hold up. (laughs) He? What? How? <laughs> How? How? Like, I understand my debts because I need sheets and capes and rugs and such. Mm-hmm. He is only the prince regent mm-hmm. and presumably is also receiving a lot of gifts from people. Well, uh, he spent £31,000 a year on his stable, so that was part of it. What? <laughs> Horses eat grass. <laughs> Like, you just put them in a place. Like, they'll eat anything, granted. They're like, can I eat this? Okay, let's give it a shot. <laughs> right. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, at that point, he, uh, yeah, he managed to get that money from Parliament, but only, or, well, either Parliament or his father, I forget, but only uh, if he agreed to marry. And I'll come back to that. Uh, so that cleared his debts. Well, good thing then. he had all those mistresses. <laughs> Not such a good thing, it turns out. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So that happened. I uh, got his debts cleared. Eight years after that, he owed 630,000 pounds. Okay. <laughs> he has gone from the frying pan into the fire. Yes. How? I think he might have had a problem. I think he might have, yes. I think he might have had one of those money problems I've heard so much about. (laughs) I think he had a money problem and he had a mistress problem. He should have just wrapped up in his favorite cape (laughs) and just, you know, enjoyed that and been content. He probably did and then he probably kept wanting a new favorite cape. Well, no. That's (laughs) the thing about your favorite. Like, yeah, sure, buy two so that when one wears out. You're like, I still have the other one, you know, shoo. <laughs> so he had a ton of mistresses, uh, but the one that really was an issue was uh, soon after he became 21, uh, Maria Fitzherbert. <laughs> she, uh, she was a common. Fitzherbert? Yes. Come on, Maria. <laughs> if you're going to be the mistress to royalty, you need to change that shit. Well, she didn't seem like a likely candidate as she was a commoner, six years his elder, twice widowed, and a Roman Catholic. Wow, good for her. Yeah. Are you sure it wasn't pronounced Fitz Albale? I am not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to think that she would pronounce it that way. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Fitz Albert. Um You know, I gotta admire her presumably tenacity. I guess How'd so. How'd she even get to where he was? Uh, I mean, you know, her... You know, she was a commoner, but like reason, like not like a lower, like lowest class commoner. So she would have been like a second class person. I think so. Whatever those, I feel like she was in that large scale range. Baronet and lower. Yeah, p- perhaps. Hang on, let me bring that chart back up. <laughs> Figure out where the large scale is. 
the third class, doctors, bankers, clergymen, and various large scale. Yeah, I think she was in there. Um, so she was a large scale is what you're saying. She was. <laughs> if you know what I mean. I do not. No, nor do I. <laughs> um, he then, in fact, married her. What? Despite the fact. Excuse me. <laughs> ex- uh, ex- what? As, as you will recall from The Crown, he is not allowed to do that without getting his father's consent, which he most certainly did not. <laughs> moreover... Why would he think this is fine to do? Moreover, he even had his father given his consent, it would have taken him out of the line of succession because he had married a Catholic. Right. Yeah. Catholics and divorced people sometimes are the same thing, Nespa. <laughs> yeah, so he went through like this marriage ceremony that was completely illegal and you know whatever. Well, so it wasn't legally binding. Yeah, I mean, basically, so he like it. So it was well, just like a pretend marriage. Yeah, uh, you know, Fitzherbert believed that she was the princess, <laughs> the prince's canonical and true wife, holding the law of the church to be superior to the law of the state. Oh, so she's old and dumb. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that's uh, lasted a few years, and then um, he and like, so did everybody know about this? Like all the people? There were rumors, but not really. People didn't generally know. Hmm, well, I mean, I they see. knew he had, they knew he liked her a lot, but it was the. The actual fake marriage was less well I can known. see, though, why, uh, you know, your Caroline Bingleys and such would be so dismissive of the, <laughs> of the Bennett curls and just being like, listen, just because the prince does it doesn't make it okay. <laughs> yeah. Unlike when Queen Alexandria starts gambling all the time <laughs> and everybody's like, hell yeah, let's gamble. Um. So, yeah, so that... Uh, yeah, so then the four years go by, and he's trying to get his money from the king and parliament, and one of his friends, and he was actually kind of friends with, like, the Whig politicians which and the reformers, which people were excited about at the time. And so one of them get, went on, uh, on to parliament and gave a very strong denunciation that there was no truth to this marriage of them being married, uh, which upset Fils Herbert. <laughs> Fils Herbert! Yes. It's getting more French the more times <laughs> that we say it. Yeah. But in any case, uh, they got the money, but his dad said he had to marry uh, Caroline of Ansbach, I want to say, some German princess. Ansbach? Yeah, that's that's the spirit. Nine! Um, it was not a good match. When he first saw her, he asked somebody to bring him brandy. That's that's rude. Oh, he's just getting started. What? Okay. Yes. Uh, all right, yeah. fine. So they had one kid and then separated and you know, were separated for the rest of their lives, essentially. So, yeah, so the Regency, as you discussed, started in 1812, 1813, something like that. But there was actually a previous Regency crisis in 1788. <gasps> um, so that was when George III first started going crazy. What happened was that when Parliament reconvened, he was not able to give the speech from the throne to open Parliament, which had everybody completely thrown for a loop because they just couldn't start Parliament until the king gave a speech. What a dumb government. I know. <laughs> I saw the preview for that new Winston Churchill movie, and I was like, what a bunch of dum-dums. <laughs> like, good job saving England or whatever, but... Yeah. <laughs> also, I got really excited because I thought the same woman was playing Clementine Churchill. Oh, yeah. But it wasn't. It was Kristen Scott Thomas. Oh, yeah. And not, uh, shoot... I should know her name. Well, Lady Shackleton. 
<laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, it wasn't, mm-hmm. and I was bummed about that. But you know, yeah, it's great to see that noted hater of women, Gary Oldman, <laughs> still getting work. <laughs> <laughs> right. So they said, okay, well, sometimes the king can't make it, so we send some lord's commissioner to open parliament for him. Okay, so they just need a document. So was that real, or were they making that up? No, that much was real. Okay. And so they're like, okay, well, we just need uh, somebody to give them the commission so they can do it. And they're like, okay, so that just needs to be affixed. It's, it's only official. It has the great seal of the realm on it, which can only be used with the consent of the king. Shit. And then finally they were just like, fucking put the seal on it, and let's just get parliament open. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, they, they opened Parliament and then introduced the bill so that George IV could become regent. But before it passed, the king recovered and then retroactively was like, that was all cool, guys. That was all legit. It's fine. Oh, that was nice of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, look, guys, who knows how long this is going to last? Right. Uh, and the answer was about 12 years. Um <laughs> So, yeah, it was 1810 that he, George IV, officially assumed the regency and disappointed everybody by continuing to appoint Tories to the government or, you know, like as prime minister and everything, because he said it would shock his father if he dismissed them and it might, you know, kill him. Well, yeah. And also, if you're getting $50,000 a year from parliament, (laughs) then you probably want people in power who think having a monarchy is a really good idea. Yeah. And some of the the political arguments between Tories and Whigs will come back in my second segment. (gasps) Um, And in fact, this is just a thing that I did not realize. The Prime Minister Percival, I think William Percival, was assassinated in 1812. On purpose? Yeah. By whom? Uh, This, like, guy from Liverpool. Oh, my gosh. Um, Was he one of the Beatles? He was not. Was he a (laughs) proto-Beatle? I don't believe he was. Was he a a trilobite? (laughs) Anyway, we'll get into that. It just struck me that as somebody that's, you know, reasonably well up on British history that I had no idea they'd had a prime minister. I mean, I don't think at this point of this podcast, anybody will be surprised (laughs) to know that my understanding of (laughs) not even British, nay, world history (laughs) from the end of the American Revolution up until about the Civil War is just... So, 1820, his father dies. Uh, he becomes officially George IV, uh, addicted to laudanum by this point. Ooh, laudanum. Yeah. That's my favorite old-timey drug for people to be addicted to. <laughs> so at this point, Caroline comes along and like to come back and like be queen. He refuses to acknowledge her as queen, instructs his ambassadors to make sure that no other monarchs treat her as queen. Oh my god. Would not let her attend the coronation, and wanted to divorce her, but... Unfortunately, the only way to get a divorce was through adultery, and his advisors were like, you know, if it goes to trial, they will be able to point out your many, many adulteries of your own. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, so wait, don't they just then do a gimme? (laughs) Just like everybody was doing it. Uh, Let's have... Let's not have a king anymore. Yeah. Uh, So he convinced Parliament to introduce the Pains and Penalties Bill 1820. That doesn't sound fun. No. Basically accused Charlotte of being adulterous with a Bartolomeo Pergami. He sounds way cooler than George (laughs) IV, to be honest. Yes. 
Um, I mean, he's no Fitzal Bale. <laughs> That's right. This was a uh, sensational debate in the Lords, which was heavily reported in salacious detail. Which was is it true. like the Bill Clinton situation? It was very much like it, down to uh, the blue dress. Except it was sheets, but yes. Down to <laughs> were they stains. blue though? Were I, they blue? I don't know if they were. <laughs> I know that. Well, and with what we're about to reveal about hygiene during this time <laughs> period, boy, that evidence would have been far more inconclusive. <laughs> it's like we don't know. These could have been here for a while, guys. <laughs> Yeah, basically, it became, like, the House of Lords eventually narrowly passed the bill, but it was, like, wildly unpopular, and all the public was on Caroline's side. Well, yeah, dude! Um, oh, my God! Everybody's like, that poor woman! Yeah. Also, uh, in private, the Queen also turned the tables on the King by saying, quote, she never committed adultery but once, and that was with Mrs. Fitzherbert's husband. <gasps> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. What a dope ass lady. Mm-hmm. So yeah. That... <laughs> That's great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, good um, one, Caroline. Yeah. <laughs> and so he was they eventually had to there was no way the House of Commons was ever gonna pass that bill and it just died. He then was like, Okay, just get out of the country or whatever. Shortly after his coronation, she died and she believed that she was poisoned, but it doesn't seem like historians really believe that very much. Uh, I believe women, so I think she was poisoned. Well, all right. Okay, so that was the awful marriage. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like reading ahead in your notes, and I'm very excited. Yeah. For so, what's about to happen. <laughs> yeah, so, so as king, he was fairly, I mean, he did keep Tories around, but his, his reign was really starting to show the limits of the king's power at this point. So, like, for example, he... I mean, if you can't even balance your own personal budget, like, I don't feel great about your governance. Yeah. So he was very opposed to Catholic emancipation. And um, this is another thing where he had changed since he was younger, but he said that ever since he took his coronation oath, he was just determined well guess what i have to say about that don't tread on me you <laughs> laudanum addicted freak yes and so eventually uh, when the duke of wellington became prime minister and he who was a tory himself but had come to realize like there was just too much pressure they needed to do something about it george the fourth did not like him at all and irritated him by pretending that he had fought at waterloo disguised as a german officer <laughs> <laughs> I was there. <laughs> yeah. What a dick. Yep. But that's brilliant. That look, if you're gonna fuck with a person, wow. Yeah. That whew, man. Yeah. I mean, I'm supposed to be living a cruelty free life, but I might have to bust out the old cruelty one of these days and convince somebody I was a German once. Yeah. So anyway, the, the Catholic emancipation was forced through over his opposition. By the time 1830 rolled around, he had become extremely obese, took 100 drops of laudanum before state occasions. Was, his health was in massive decline, and yet he still had quite the appetite, hence the obesity. He was reported as having at one meal a pigeon and beef steak pie, three parts of a bottle of Moselle, a glass of dry champagne, two glasses of port, and a glass of brandy, followed by a large dose of laudanum. Oh my god. Yeah. How big was this pie? <laughs> I don't know. I know that he was uh, about 280 pounds. Wow. Yeah. I don't know how tall he was, so I, I don't have a BMI for him or anything. <laughs> but... 
1830, he died of various illnesses. I, um... I feel that it is not entirely coincidental <laughs> that his raid and that of his father coincided with the widespread debunking of the divine right myth. <laughs> yes. Privately a senior aide to the king confided to his diary, a more contemptible, cowardly, selfish, unfeeling dog does not exist. There have been good and wise kings, but not many of them, and this I believe to be one of the worst. Wow. On his death, the Times said... There never was an individual less regretted by his fellow creatures than this deceased king. What eye has wept for him? If he ever had a friend, a devoted friend in any rank of life, we protest that the name of him or her never reached us. Wow! Man, see, now that's how you write an obituary. People that wrote Hugh Hefner's obituary. Yeah. You dicks. Yeah. And finally, the Duke of Wellington said that he was, George IV was the worst man he ever fell in with his whole life, the most selfish, the most false, the most ill-natured, the most entirely without one redeeming quality. (laughs) Well, I can see why none of the characters in any of Jane Austen's books trouble themselves with politics. Now, one notable fact about George IV mm. is that when Jane Austen wrote and published the book Emma, she was essentially forced to dedicate that book to George IV oh. because he was like, oh, I've been hearing a lot about this uh, this Jane Austen broad. <laughs> I think that she should dedicate her next book to me. And she did because she had to. Yes. As a British citizen, she did not have a choice. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a dick. Yeah. That is impressive. I know. Because you think I about... I was really, like, I got into it. I was like, damn. When you think about, like, Edward VII, like, I thought he was bad. Right. You know? But, like, compared... To this guy, (laughs) he is like a Boy Scout. (laughs) And this explains, I mean, obviously it was, you know, several years later, but like Queen Victoria Mm -hmm. would have grown up with all these stories about like, don't you dare. (laughs) Don't do what Johnny Tone does. Yeah, and he was he was succeeded by his um, younger brother, I think, and William the Fourth, who I don't think lived very long. So I think Victoria followed pretty closely after. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, if she ascended the throne in 1837, oh yeah, then yes, indeed, <laughs> it was not long. Yeah. All right. Well, then we're going to go on to the one area where apparently George the Fourth excelled in life, <laughs> fashion. Yeah. Because it's fashion backwards. That's right. Oh, remember the backy? Oh, I do. I miss the backy. Yeah. When I think about it. Well, sure. Okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the Industrial Revolution. We could bring that in for anything we cover if we remember to. What, the Industrial Revolution? Just the backy. Oh. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. I think I would have given it to that guy with the... Oh, I would have given it to the 40-year plan guy. Oh, yeah. He looked terrible. Yeah. Anyway. I would have given the Gibson girl or guy award to that one SS guy I liked so much. (laughs) Yeah. We were referring, of course, (laughs) to our episode on the movie Conspiracy on HBO, which was about Nazis. (laughs) Prominent Nazis. They were pretty prominent. They were extremely prominent. (laughs) The Industrial Revolution, folks. It made industry happen. (laughs) (laughs) That was his tagline. 
the main things that we are concerned with here is that as you move into the industrial age and you're getting factories making cloth instead of individual persons mm-hmm. uh, of large and small scale mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> yes. at their looms, and you also have the invention of the sewing machine. The first one emerged in 1790, and then later a man named Joseph Matersperger... <laughs> Fitzgerald Bale made a In 1807. And so he presented his first working sewing machine in 1814. However, this does not actually help anyone in Jane Austen's time. <laughs> so they were most likely still sewing and piecing things by hand, mm. although they may have been getting more cloth. There were more of, there were machines in sort of like the early 1800s. So mm-hmm. that's possible. The other thing is that because printing and literacy were now so widespread, you had a lot more magazines and newspapers and things like that explaining about fashion. There also are, if you are a Felicity Merriman, American Girl Doll Girl, Mm -hmm. there are the little dolls that are dressed in an outfit Mm. that dressmakers would have. And, you know, presumably they would have the pattern for it as well. Mm on a large scale for a person, (laughs) not at all, Mm -hmm. but you, you know, you could take a look at that and, you know, those were presumably, you know, it's kind of a lot faster to get this doll (laughs) to somebody. So think of it in the same way that at least I think of information moving pre-internet and post-internet is sort of what the, the industrial revolution did. You know, Mm -hmm. they went from a, you know, essentially kind of like a quarterly or maybe even just annual understanding of what the quote unquote latest fashions were to being able to keep up with it on much more of like a monthly basis. Mm -hmm. And the expectation was that now that you could know what the latest fashions were, you have no excuse to not be dressing in the latest fashions. Mm. So get your shit together, Maureen. (laughs) So here's some very broad fashion changes Starting in the 1790s. So this is the beginning of what we, we would uh, call the age of undress, Ooh. which is not what you think it means. Oh. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, but it is why their boobs are out all the time. Oh, yeah. Well, there is that. Yeah. Well, because we always wonder. We're like, why are there boobs out? Like, they're so concerned about propriety, but there's titties everywhere. <laughs> and it is because women were meant to dress like statues coming to life, which oh. is fucked up george bernard shaw and so you know they they have the ampere silhouette they're going with you know white dresses and very pastel colored things uh some people would wear blonde wigs so as to look more hellenic are are greeks generally blonde is that uh that's what they decided (laughs) who are you to tell people in the 1790s what color greeks hair was were was look (laughs) Should was. And then it says here, accessorized with parenthetical to demonstrate individuality. (laughs) Hats, turbans, gloves, jewelry, small handbags, reticules, shawls, handkerchiefs, parasols, fans, maha, I don't know what that is, and a layered skirt. Hmm. So basically, everybody was kind of wearing a uniform, Mm -hmm. and then they would put all this other stuff on it Mm. if they wanted to. Sort of like flair at TGI Fridays. Very much like flair. Yes. One thing I learned in my research, did you know that umbrella means a little shade? I did not. I didn't either. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Right. Like umbrage. Exactly. Yeah. So then in the 1800s, things change a bit. Women have short hair. I don't know what that means in this context because I don't think they were cutting their hair short. Okay. Like, I don't know how short is short. Right. And again, I'm not doing any more research. Sure. Um, (laughs) I won't stand for it. They get a lot of Egyptian and Eastern influences in their accessories because of the Napoleonic campaigns Mm. in Egypt. Mm -hmm. They also get more into shawls, hooded overcoats, capes perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) And then masses of curls sometimes pulled back into a bun. So if you think Mm. of Kate Winslet in Sense and Sensibility, Mm -hmm. she seems much more in line with this silhouette. Yeah. Then in the 1810s, things change a bit. They get into very sheer fabrics and more draping instead of sort of this very simple kind of straight up and down silhouette. Mm. Still doing the Ampere waist. Some short-fitted single-breasted jackets, which sound cute as fuck. (laughs) And this is the period where, and we'll just get into this in a bit, there's all of these different types of dresses and styles of dress let me Mm. jump into that so that nobody is on tenterhooks (laughs) so there's a couple of different ways to dress in the regency period so undress means casual informal dress so this is the type of dress that you would wear until noon basically Mm. you could potentially wear it as late as 5 p.m depending on what you were doing for the day like if you were hungover exactly (laughs) um (laughs) or i feel like mrs bennett was often in a state of undress (laughs) yeah that's a good yeah but so now when i'm just hanging on my pajamas i'm gonna say i'm in a state of undress (laughs) it was usually more comfortable warm and cheaper than what is known as half dress or full dress. Mm-hmm. Now, according to this website, KristenKoster.com, half dress is perhaps one of the most difficult concepts to grasp about Regency fashion. <laughs> Basically, it is any dress between undress and full dress. In modern terms, it might be thought of as dressy casual or casual business attire in terms of formality, if not style. I don't think that's that hard to grasp. Yeah, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, really. it's just like probably less turbans. Yeah. I would think, you know, cheaper fabric, not something you would wear to go bag a husband. (laughs) Pantsuit. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Then full dress is the most formal type of dress. It was worn for evening concerts, card parties, soirees, balls, and court occasions. And then evening dress is a subset of full dress. So you could have full dress for earlier in the day Mm. if you had some kind of concert you're going to in the afternoon. Yeah. But if there was an evening, like you would have, you know. Mm-hmm. Your day wear and your evening wear. Yeah. Or like and a wedding if they were in the morning back yeah, then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's <laughs> there's a lot that goes into dressing a person <laughs> at this time. Yeah. So you would wear a shift or a chemise, which is like a pre-slip, basically. Okay. So it just goes on under everything. That way you don't have to wash your stays or your corset as frequently. Mm-hmm. The stays in the corset were not as confining as Georgian or Victorian corsets. But again, stays are not going to go all the way up, which is Mm. why so often when we would see these women Mm -hmm. in not a state of undress, but you know, when they ain't wearing no clothes, you you can see there's not a lot of bust support and Mm -hmm. like their boobs are just kind of there because the stays don't go all the way up. Yeah. By the way, George IV's corset was measured for 50 inches. 
Boy, why, howdy. Why even bother with a corset at that point? Anyway. Uh, you know, he on. once was very fashionable. <laughs> they would usually only wear one petticoat because volume was not a concern mm-hmm. for their skirts at the time. And they would wear stockings and garters and pantaloons. <laughs> then they would put on a chemisette, which was like a dicky with a high collar. So they wouldn't be wearing a full undershirt, basically. Okay. All right. So this was going on top of their chemise and that whole situation. Okay. Then drawers. So this is a time when very few people are wearing underwear. Okay. It is really not done. And we will get into the bathroom parts of things and you will see why it was so unusual if anybody were to wear drawers if you were to wear drawers they were essentially like they were they were a pair of pants cut in half that allowed like a cutout in your bum and a cutout in the front Mm -hmm. so you could handle your business on either end without soiling your drawers or having to take off any clothes you can also see why Nobody thought that was necessary uh, since they already had so many other ding-dang clothes on. Right, right. (laughs) Now, I am not going to go into all of these in detail. Uh, I will post a link to the more detailed explanations for what all of these things are. Mm -hmm. These are the different kinds of dresses that women would wear throughout the day. Morning gowns, visiting gowns, walking gowns, promenade dresses, carriage dresses, riding habits, dinner dresses slash gowns, and ball gowns. That's a lot of different kind of dresses. Now, luckily, most of them are named as such Yeah, that it seems fairly obvious what the point of them are. (laughs) The only one that I think is a little bit odd maybe for the modern audience is the promenade dress Mm -hmm. which i did not look up but i am assuming means (laughs) if you are out walking in the city or in town Mm. so you're you're walking where someone's going to see you versus a walking gown which is more like your hiking gown right or if you're to square dance (laughs) they were just called dances (laughs) and then in terms of outerwear wraps and shawls i mean people have been wearing wraps and shawls and capes (laughs) yes for a long time. Yeah, ever since they figured out like how to cut the skin off a deer or yeah, whatever. They were like, like, oh, great. I'm not cold anymore. <laughs> then we have a Spencer. Ogg not chili. <laughs> a Spencer, which is a close-fitting, tight-sleeved, waist-length jacket modeled on a gentleman's riding coat, but without tails. Mm. That's how you know it is a lady. <laughs> a pelisse is an overdress or coat dress, and it basically was just a dress, but a coat. Like Okay. If that makes sense. All right. A writing coat. It is the French corruption of writing coat. So I don't know how I'm actually pronouncing that. Right. But it is a coat that is belted but open so you can see the skirt. Mm. Cloak or mantles or capes. (laughs) Oh, wait. Capes have a separate. (gasps) These were fading out of fashion for women during the Regency. (laughs) Well, by God, I am appalled. (laughs) Then you have slippers and simple pumps with a very low heel, mules, which are essentially like a kitten heel with no back, half boots, ankle boots, and then pattens, which are a metal contraption strapped onto the lady's shoes in inclement weather to lift her above the mud, snow, or rainwater in the street. Mm. So kind of like if you've seen those like Japanese sandals that are sort of like Uh, up, kind of like that, but made of metal. 
All right. And then I won't go too deep into too much of the accessories. Now, there is something called a fichu, which is for women who felt too much cleavage was showing. I distinctly remember these coming up in Sense and Sensibility. Mm. Uh, Eleanor wore them pretty frequently. Uh. And then some people argue that you do not pronounce the word reticule, but ridicule. I mean, it makes sense if you're using Mark Darpy. Uh, yeah. It would be ridicule anyway. Yeah, yeah. There's the bandeau, which I want to spend just a smidgen of time on because the bandeau is just sort of the, the head wrap. Mm-hmm. Again, you see those a lot in a lot of Jane Austen adaptations. Yeah, yeah. And again, those were these very classically inspired headpieces. Mm-hmm. So they were very popular for <laughs> that reason. And then nighttime stuff, pretty basic. Night dress or a dressing gown. A dressing gown, of course, is like a bathrobe. Mm-hmm. A wrapper is a thin bathrobe. And then, you know, a <laughs> nightdress is like a nightgown. So mm-hmm. that is the women folk. All right. I will say, now that you're a lady, I feel way less compared to give a shit about the men's stuff. <laughs> but sure, I shall discuss anyway, because it is interesting, because they had also just a totally absurd amount of clothes. Mm. KristenCoster.com recommends a movie, Beau Brummel, This Charming Man, which uh, stars James Purifoy and Hugh Bonneville. So it might definitely be worth checking out. I I didn't really look too much into what this is, Mm -hmm. but it's basically... Beau Brummel was a huge influence on fashion and clothing, period. He was famous because George IV was friends with him and like promoted him. Okay, well, great. Well, hey, this would be a very wise thing for us to check out. (laughs) But we're not promising anything. No, we're not. Because we have gotten in trouble already. (laughs) So they are wearing... We're promising to finish this episode. (laughs) That's our promise. It's already as long as we thought it would be. (laughs) That's right. So there are small clothes and drawers. So... Essentially more like a short drawers are like boxers and then long drawers are like long johns. Mm. But I don't know if that means in terms of thickness as well as length. Because I always think of a long john as being a particularly thick item, which I can't imagine you've ever worn in your life. Because you're always so warm. I did it, well, when we would go sledding. Then stockings and garters. So everybody had stars and garters. (laughs) Their shirts were made from white muslin and they pulled on and off over the head and they would not button up all the way up the front, which uh, everybody uh. knows from the scene from Pride and Prejudice where Colin <laughs> Firth goes swimming oh, right. because you can see, you know, his shirt has sort of like some ties at the top, mm-hmm. but it, you know, has a large neck hole and not any buttons. Mm. Um, very Amish. The shirt neck and sleeves might have ruffles. They might not have ruffles. Depends on the day. <laughs> a waistcoat were essentially vests. A tailcoat or jacket or coat. They were distinctive because they had an M shape to the tails Mm. versus sort of a more sort of rounded Mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. um, V shape. Pants. (laughs) Men enjoyed a variety of pants of different lengths (laughs) and snugness. Rather than a modern zipper, the doy, they like they had just started the industrial revolution. Right. They opened with a flap called a fall that opened in the front and fastened with an elaborate series of buttons. And then the width of the front panel determined if one was wearing a broad fall or narrow fall breeches. Then there are trousers. So these were worn by the working class, but then the upper classes started wearing trousers in 1807. They culturally appropriated that. And they would not ever wear belts. They would wear suspenders or braces. Mm -hmm. Pantaloons! (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, oh, I'm sorry. Breeches also are in here, but they're considered very old fashioned. But if you're a Tory, you probably were very into breeches. Pantaloons were cut on the bias. So they were a much closer fit Mm. and they were usually worn with highly polished tall boots. So if you wanted to get a look at somebody's junk or their bum, (laughs) you better hope they were wearing pantaloons. Yeah. Uh, or, if you were really wild, inexpressibles. Yikes. Scandalously tight leggings that left little to the imagination. <laughs> so suck it, skinny jeans-wearing hipsters. The Regency <laughs> did it first, and I suspect they did it better. <laughs> and then buckskins were made from deer skin. They were considered the equivalent of denim jeans in their day. Mm. Comfortable and practical. So you're right about deer skin. So then outerwear, they would have a great coat, which is, you know, like your overcoat. Mm-hmm. Um, just shoes. That's all we got. Shoes. Yeah. And boots. Shoots and boots. <laughs> Typically, Hessians were acceptable during the day, but not at night. Top boots were another choice. I assume that is like a top hat. No idea. Kristen Koster does not elaborate. <laughs> uh, then you have the cravat or stock. And that, of course, is the, I think, later generations refer to them as an ascot. Then you have gloves, canes, pocket watches, watch fobs, quizzing glasses. Ooh. Quizzing glasses were like little like opera glasses, like binoculars, mm. and a good way to spy on someone if you didn't want them to know you were spying on them. Wallets or purses, I guess women didn't need those. Hats. It says several styles to choose from, but then lists two, <laughs> a topper and a beaver hat. See, and this is like, this always happens because mm. women don't really care that much. Like this exists, I think, mostly for like undressing your male heroes in a Regency era <laughs> romance novel. Yeah. So like, yeah, 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 yeah. We don't care. <laughs> and then same kind of deal, night clothes, you know, they would have a night shirt and then uh, a night cap. And a dressing gown, again, think Ebenezer Scrooge Mm -mm. in his dreams. (laughs) All right. So that's the end of that fashion backwards segment. So I'm going to throw it back to you for some informations on Napoleon. Well, I do have one leftover thing from George IV that I had left out in case you would cover it. But he kind of ended the fashion of powdered wigs. Uh, The reason was that Parliament passed a tax on wig powder. (laughs) And so he stopped doing that anyway (laughs) i almost (laughs) spat water everywhere yeah (laughs) oh also worth noting the website janeaustin.co.uk has a lot of great information if you want additional info and they will also show you a lot of gift ideas that are jane austen related so if you're into that kind of thing Mm -hmm. janeaustin.co.uk is the place for you all right They are not sponsoring us in any way, just passing that along. Indeed. So yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about the international situation during the Regency, uh, which again, you will learn nothing of from Jane Austen. (laughs) So yeah, the the Napoleonic Wars are going on, and at this point, and this is where some of those political debates were coming into that got the Prime Minister assassinated. So the Tories were in charge, and there were two things they were doing. They were like much more aggressive about promoting the war. Uh, and two things they were doing was they were maintaining a British army in Portugal, which was very expensive and did not seem to be accomplishing Yeah, that anything. seems real dumb to me. Yeah. You know it, what I always think of is all those Brits living in Portugal. <laughs> historians generally agree it wound up being for the best because after Napoleon got most of his soldiers killed in Russia, then 
at that point, the British army was there in the peninsula ready to kind of roll things up and, and get in there. But in any case, that bothered people. And the other thing was that they were, you know, had imposed more or less a blockade of of France, which at that point was basically all of Europe. And they considered that they had the right to, I want to say like pull over, but like any ship that they believed to be bringing goods to France. Mm-hmm. So they could board any ship they yeah, thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, and to confiscate their stuff. So- England, <laughs> you've become a pirate. <laughs> Just yes. a brief reminder, if we get $750 a month in Patreon donations, we will cover five Maggie Smith movies, definitely including the movie Hook, about which, like, that movie is so long, too. I know. That'll be, like, three episodes. Yeah. So we can talk about the three different movies <laughs> within that movie. Yeah. Anyway, sorry yeah. to slow everybody down. No, that's all right. And that bothered a lot of, you know, that basically was really hurting Britain, too, in particular, their trade with America. And so that had a lot of merchants, like, out of work or losing money. And one of them is the guy that got so fed up, he went down to Parliament and shot the Prime Minister. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I know. <laughs> Well, and it's funny, too, because, like, he's, like everybody was so, like, flustered and scattered. Like, he could have just, like, left. But he hung out and was like, yeah, arrest me. I did it. I feel good. <laughs> he deserved it. <laughs> um, yeah, and so that also led to this being 1812, as you might expect, the War of 1812, which in, is not something that the British think is a thing. You know, as far as the British are concerned, the War of 1812 was like a minor side part of the Napoleonic Wars. And if you want to know basically how it went, it was more or less like when your little brother is trying to come at you and hit you and you're just holding your hand on his head. Yes. And Yeah. Oh, that I know is, it well. That is pretty much how it was, uh, because the British had complete naval dominance, instituted a blockade, you know, burned Washington, D.C., as you may recall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. You just filled in one of the gaps in the white noise that is my conception <laughs> of world history. Yes. But neither side was able to, like, maintain any, like, actual conquering, you know, conquer any territory, really, or anything like that. There's some belief that at least some people in America thought they could use the chance to take over Canada, but they never had a chance. They never had a... I was going to make like a pun about chance in Canada? <laughs> yeah, I don't, no. I don't know how that could have worked, but... Chananada? <laughs> Chansanada? I'm so sorry, everyone. <laughs> it's okay. Um, yeah, although they did uh, defeat Tecumseh's Confederation, which was allied with the British. Man... And- Uh, So Americans felt pretty good about that and about winning the Battle of New Orleans, which happened after the war was over, but before anybody had heard about it. But that kind of left America with a good feeling, even though when the treaty was signed, it was just basically like, uh, you know, everything's nothing changed. It was just like, we'll just go back to the way things were. I got a feeling (laughs) that tonight's going to be a good treaty. (laughs) Uh, possibly. I was not there in Ghent. What? Or Utrecht, I forget which. Mm. Um, yeah, so, but yeah, the Napoleonic Wars really were kind of a, a world war, and they had much bigger ramifications in the rest of the Americas, essentially. Like, the War of 1812 didn't really change anything, but this is really what kicked off the independence for all of Latin America. Because what happened was, Napoleon 
in one of his many arrogant fits of hubris, just decided to go take over Spain, depose the king, and make his brother king. I did that once. I know. It worked out great. Spain's still there. (laughs) But, uh, yes, what? and the government there was like, oh, all right. But everybody in Spain was like, fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. It's not his country. Right. So they... uh, That would be like if I went to your job, (laughs) fired the CEO, and then was like, hey, my brother's going to do this. And my brother just graduated from business school. Yeah. So all the local juntas got together, which at this point just basically meant like all the little town councils and whatever. Mm -hmm. And they all just started like kind of governing whatever little part of Spain they were in. And then, of course, they were all fighting all the time. And like the one in Seville Seville, Seville, uh, claimed... (laughs) I got stuck between saying Sevilla and Seville. I tried to say Chance Anita. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> they claimed that they were that they had like jurisdiction over all of the colonies just because they were kind of the biggest port. So they're squabbling back and forth, all this sort of thing. Uh, so then, meanwhile, everybody in South America is like, "Oh, we're going to start our own juntas," and they all started out like being like, "Oh, we support the deposed King Ferdinand or whatever." And it's you know, some of them may really have meant it, but once they got a taste of like, "Oh, we can just kind of kick the royal governor out and uh, run things ourselves." Many of them stuck with it. You know, there was, after the Napoleonic Wars ended, there was an attempt to reconquer all of it, which was intermittently successful. It's just, like, every one of the... Yeah, every country had its own, like, individual unique story that all of them are slightly interesting, but none of them is, like, significantly more interesting than the others. I I did think about, like, Paraguay is a little interesting because they were part of the province of Rio Plata, which was... Buenos Aires and mm-hmm. the nucleus of modern day Argentina. Uh, yes, I know because it's a lyric in the musical Evita. <laughs> yes, which I oh, and I just stumbled across this where this was not a cited thing, but it said that uh, the expedition that founded Buenos Aires picked possibly the worst site in South America for their first settlement, which was like, oh, uh, well, take that, Buenos Aires. There's a whole song about it. <laughs> Worked out all right. It scans great. So the Buenos Aires people were like, hey, Paraguay, uh, we're part of you, you. We're in charge of you, too, now. Although they picked as their representative the most hated man in Paraguay, <laughs> um, which didn't do them any favors. And then the... That would be a great t-shirt. Yeah. And then the royalist government, humili- the governor, humiliated himself by like hearing a rumor that the Paraguayan troops had lost battle and like running off in panic back to the capital and saying they were all screwed. And in fact, they'd won the battle. Uh, So then he was out, and they set up uh, really the first modern dictatorship. Oh, good for them. Yeah. uh, This guy, uh, his name was Francia. And yeah, he would not let anybody leave the country, including, you know, foreigners. Cool. And was very, like, you know, a lot of of thought police stuff going on. He's wearing a cape. (laughs) Yes, he is. They were more stable and, you know, prosperous during this time than everywhere else that was kind of going through, like, a whole bunch of random, like, civil wars and, like, just a whole mess. But it was just because it was a dictatorship. Um, (laughs) And then he didn't leave a successor. And uh, not long after that, Paraguay got involved in the Paraguayan War uh, against Brazil and Argentina, which is, by some measurements, the most deadly war in human history in that it is estimated that it led to the deaths of 70% of the men in Paraguay. Jesus. Yeah. So That's most of them. Yes, it is most of them. So anyway, that's just this like one little corner of 
the journey from Spanish province to, you know, independent nation that, that all these countries went through in their own way. And it's worth digging around on Wikipedia, like, because yeah, each great. one has their own little interesting Perhaps stories. Perhaps you can post a link to this photo of Francia wearing a cape. <laughs> Maybe I will. I don't like that cape, though. No, it's not great. No, it's like a little lumpy. It's a lumpy cape. Yeah, he says it says he's holding a mate and its respective bombilla. Okay. I don't know what that means. I don't know either. Anyway. We could do more research, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> yeah, not gonna happen. <laughs> so that's that's how the world was situated in the Regency, aka Napoleonic era. So I'm gonna be totally honest with you. I sat here and I heard everything that you said. Mm-hmm. Retained none of it. Yeah, that's fine. I don't know what the hell you were talking about until I saw that cape. <laughs> right. So it's clear Look, that <laughs> if anybody wants me to learn something, put a cape on it. <laughs> not a cape on. Right, no. I mean, I will eat it. <laughs> Let's not be ridiculous. I'll take a cape on and <laughs> eat it. So now I'm going to move on mm-hmm. to some makeup stuff and some bathroom stuff. The much vaunted bathroom stuff. Yikes. Yeah, it's really gross. Wow. So we'll start off with the non-gross thing, although it is gross in a philosophical sense. <laughs> because I'm reading this thing and it's like, huh. Like there's virtually no difference between a women's magazine today and what women were told to do back then in mm. terms of having any basis in science <laughs> or, like, being good for you. Mm-hmm. Essentially, makeup did exist, but, quote-unquote, painting was frowned on by most of society. Except the gypsies. Well, yes. <laughs> and, of course, the older people were still using the whole elaborate powder, mm. you know, fake smallpox scars, etc. However, the younger women who were going for like a fresher faced look would use the juice from green pineapples to take away wrinkles and give the complexion an air of youth. If pineapples are not available, onion will do just as well. Well, I have currently in my bathroom a face mask that has extract of pineapple in it. So that is still going on. Another sovereign. And in the kitchen, you got some onions. I Actually, you know what? I don't. I'm all out of onions. I have some garlic, but I don't know if that works too. (laughs) Another sovereign beautifier of the complexion is pimpernel water. Pimpernel is being a flower, of Mm. course. And yet another refresher can be made by mixing one pound of rye breadcrumbs hot from the oven with the whites of four eggs and a pint of white vinegar. The whole to be used as a face mask. Yeah. Now... Well, see, the way the the beauty of that is when you're done, then you can make chicken parmesan. <laughs> Powdered parsley seed is believed to prevent baldness and slices. Well, of- now you tell me. <laughs> well, I only just now did this research. <laughs> I've been putting it off for a long time. And slices of cucumber are recommended for tired eyes. That, of course, is still happening. Mm-hmm. Ripe elderberries can be used to blacken the eyebrows and a mixture of Brazil wood shaving and rock alum pounded and boiled in red wine will produce an adequate liquid rouge grated horseradish immersed in sour milk will not only smell fucking terrible, <laughs> but get rid of sunburn or freckles. Though we confess to the eccentricity of liking a little dash of sunburn of a sprinkling of nice little delicate freckles on the brow of beauty. Fuck you, dude. <laughs> Shut yeah. up with your male gaze. And also not spelling like compost. Yeah. I'm probably a fan of that. We now also have from a book 
published anonymously entitled The Art of Beauty of the Best Methods of Improving and Preserving the Shape, Carriage, and Complexion Together with the Theory of Beauty. So I think we can all agree copywriting has come a long way <laughs> since the Regency era. Basically, it's like, hey, 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 girl, you're so pretty, you don't even need makeup. <laughs> but what it does say is that if you want to have a nice complexion, don't eat fruit, vegetables, or fish. Don't eat pastries, cream, or cheese. In the morning, get up at 6, go for a three-mile walk, and then eat steak and ale for breakfast. <laughs> so this is uh, uh, essentially the low-carb option <laughs> for the Regency. And although a fresh and handsome girl is advised to leave well enough alone, the author states that when an antique and venerable dowager covers her brown and shriveled skin with a thick layer of white paint heightened with a tint of vermilion, we are sincerely thankful to her. <laughs> so, yeah, they were a bunch of dicks. Yeah. I mean, people are still a bunch of dicks, mm. you know, not a, not uncommon. Okay, yeah. now, <laughs> on to the bathroom stuff. <laughs> So this was something that people asked some questions about. Mm -hmm. And I think the only thing we're running out of time, so we can't really cover sort of home and hearth stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But I'm more interested in this. So that's what we're talking about. Yeah. So we don't really know what exactly they did. It is not super well documented. Mm. Uh, I do have some information from the Museum of Menstruation. Ooh mum.org essentially you she says that oh uh, i'm sorry this is from dr sarah reed only women in the theater professions would wear close-fitting pads Mm. um or sponges and most women didn't wear underpants as we already discussed it was regarded as unhealthy to wash and change underclothing because women feared it would block the bleeding or cause even more intense bleeding very few women were doing anything wow. at all. They were pretty much just bleeding into their clothes. All right. Which is, ew. Yeah. But now, this I saw in the TV adaptation of Alias Grace, mm. which is at this time was, I believe, in 18. 18- <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Yes. It was 1830 something. And so in that, they had sort of a quilted red petticoat that you would wear. Mm. I think they might have had like a napkin situation. Mm. I just assume that everybody, you know, was just doing the best that they could. But I mean, just nobody ever documented it. Yeah. It was considered shameful and weird. And so we have no idea. And it's like my favorite thing to learn about. And yet (laughs) there is. Okay. I don't even know why this is happening so this is just from 1876 is there's this weird (laughs) thing called a double t of the perineum it's a bandage for a man because you can see there's a penis and testicles right sure and you know basically if you were to get an injury there this is what you would do but some women would adapt this Mm. to handle their menses Mm. and then tampons were essentially invent well we hear more about them in 1847. They have existed for a lot longer than mm. that. But again, they were not used super widely. So anyway, everybody's just bleeding around. Other things people are doing, uh, just peeing and stuff. <laughs> just hanging out with their friends. There's a uh, chamber pot in the drawing room and they just go use it. All right. Uh, which is gross. <laughs> now, in France, imagine France. They invented a thing called the bordeloo all right 
And it was named after a Jesuit priest named Louis Bordelieu. He was one of Louis XIV's priests. And apparently his sermons were so phenomenal that nobody wanted to get up and go use the facilities. Mm -hmm. So they created these things that essentially look like little gravy boats. They're like a little, you know, personal pan chamber pot. Yeah. And there is this bizarre painting of a woman using it. I will post some of these yeah. links. But basically, you just lift up your skirt and you pee standing up. It's obviously a little bit easier for men because mm-hmm. their equipment is on the outside. Once water closets started to be more popularized, you know, there were places you could go. These declined in their popularity. Right. There there does appear to have been this sort of conception in France because... Men did not use this in England, so there there is this satirical cartoon of British men being hammered <laughs> and one dude peeing and not getting it into the chamber pot. <laughs> so, fuck you guys. So I guess you're just carrying that Bordeloo around after that. Yeah, and yeah, there's like a bunch of like weird like bathroom paintings i'm like i don't know why this is happening but it's happening yeah all right and so um that's like the majority of the bathroom stuff (laughs) the other thing that's worth noting is that in earlier periods periods uh (laughs) women's periods may not have been as regular as they are now Hmm. due to poor nutrition oh right so it's unclear I mean, obviously, we've known women have known sort of like tracking their cycles, mm. but again, we just don't have a lot of information. Yeah. Period. <laughs> I don't mean to be <laughs> saying this at all. Yeah, uh, it just keeps happening, mm-hmm. and you know, and it's worth remembering. Like, yeah, women we're still like wandering around at least in the western world with this like curse of eve trip being laid on them mm-hmm. and that like every menstrual cramp that they have is this punishment from god yeah because eve you know had an inquiring mind <laughs> um <laughs> it's not something that's generally encouraged by religion anyway. and so he goes into a little bit more detail about a menstrual apron this is from edwardian times mm-hmm. so this would be quite a bit later than right. both the Victorian era and the Regency, but it would be a washable linen nappy for the genitals held in place by a girdle and joined at the rear by a protective rubber skirt. And they would also wear ankle-length knickers below the apparatus, but there would be special open crotch pantalettes so no blood would stain them, which, as we discussed mm-hmm. earlier, were the mm-hmm. only pantalettes available <laughs> in the Regency era. Yeah. So it's essentially the, you know... When you think about, you know, the menstrual belts of the Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret mm-hmm. era, it was kind of that kind of thing, but, like, way more annoying. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, there's some more. I'll, I'll post some of this fun stuff. There's pictures of people falling downstairs and <laughs> their bums being exposed because of no drawers. Right. So that's it. I do have some final fun facts. Ooh. This is from AustinAuthors.net with 10 surprising facts about Regency England. Ooh. Funerals. Women in, in families would not have been permitted to go to a funeral. Female friends or distant relations were allowed to be present, but the women were relegated to the chapel. Like, you could be in the church, but you couldn't go to the burial. Oh. Um, oh. Yeah. So, yeah, and you were just encouraged not to grieve publicly, mm. which 
puts the entire action of sense and sensibility in a different light mm, um, mm-hmm. because you get the scene where Edward Ferris is talking to his sister and saying, you know, they've just lost their father. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Nobody's supposed to care. I'm like, oh, yeah. she was right. Yeah. So their mourning was extremely long. The deep mourning period was usually about six months to a year. And widows had to observe this. Mm-hmm. They weren't uh, permitted to do social activities. They weren't allowed to go out in public or do any entertaining apart from sort of normal visits. Mm-hmm. And even their correspondence had to have black trimmed stationery. <laughs> wow. And then they were allowed to relax a little, uh, which we this we know. We yes. talked a bit. This hasn't changed much when we get up to the Edwardian period. Mm-hmm. But they were allowed to add lace to their black clothing and maybe wear some lavender with a little black trim <laughs> just to show they weren't assholes. And, you know, men just wore black armbands and black gloves, maybe a black cravat because they had to go out and, like, do business and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Morning jewelry. You would cut locks of hair from the dead person okay. and then braid it or weave it into earrings or necklaces pendants and other things like that i mean it was you know they didn't have photographs yeah and you know the pictures that they did have would have been you know very few right and you know you couldn't carry them around with you necessarily right this is this was maybe my favorite one mm-hmm. bundling mm. so there were all of these rules in terms of courtship of course and nobody was supposed to be having sex before they were married right so if a country couple recording sometimes for the man to come call upon the woman, it would be really difficult to get there and back in a day. So in that case, they would be permitted to spend the night in the same bed, presumably living out in the country, not a lot of spare beds to go around. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Now what they would do is they would put a different things would happen. They would put a board in between them. <laughs> they would sew or tie their night clothes together so that they couldn't take them off. And in some cases, both were sewn into a large bag with a seam <laughs> down the middle to keep them in their own side. And then the parents would chaperone in the room while they like chatted before they went to sleep. So, um, listen, I got a lot of beef with the sexual revolution, but (laughs) I think it's done more good than harm. (laughs) Wife selling. Uh, apparently people would sell their wives occasionally. There's very little, disturbingly little information (laughs) here. Yeah. Go uh, sell your wife. I don't know if it's to another man or what like the a deal. Craigslist situation. Um, <laughs> so the after dinner separation of the sexes is not merely so that you know the men can go talk about their man things mm-hmm. and women won't be disturbed or upset. Both genders needed to go to the bathroom, mm. and the way that they handled this was the men would go and adjourn. And the women, you know, would, uh, I'm sorry, the women would adjourn, the men would stay and, mm. you know, use the bathroom. And I'm like, huh, yeah. here I've been thinking this was just totally sexist. But <laughs> I mean, well, you know, I mean, in right. the sense that people need to be separated to go to the bathroom, yeah, which yeah. I think is being broken down. But right. we already know about there's no underwear. <laughs> right. There was arsenic everywhere. Because a pigment called emerald green Mm. was introduced in 1814, and it was made with arsenic and verdigris. So people, look, anytime a new color became available, Mm -hmm. people went apeshit for it. (laughs) So they would sometimes dye their food with it. They'd put it on their wallpaper. They'd put it everywhere. So people were just ingesting a lot of arsenic, Mm. and it took decades 
for anybody to figure out that that was what was going on. Yeah. Actually, that came up when I was reading about George III and the, the speculations about the causes of his madness. Arsenic is one of Interesting. the yeah, potential causes. Well, maybe Caroline was poisoned. Yeah. <gasps> and then with tea, I've heard of this, but it didn't really occur to me. But, I mean, tea leaves were used and then reused. Mm. So the family would use the tea leaves. The housekeeper would then take the leaves, dry them out steep them again then she would bequeath them on some lesser person to get the third steeping you know they were very precious yeah so you would just use them over and over and over again yeah and then finally traveling by mail coach so this i guess you know it doesn't seem that different from like a regular coach but i mean it's just like if a mail coach was going somewhere it was like the bus essentially you could Mm -hmm. be like hey wait you know hold Mm -hmm. that mail coach and it was you know really bad They'd be like clinging to the sides. Mm, They'd mm -hmm. be having to deal with all of the weather and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So those are uh, some facts about Regents of England. There were seven more appalling ones, and I can't get that page (laughs) to load. But I will say the one that struck me the most is that literally everyone had body lice. Oh. In every social class, just everybody had body lice. Yeah. And that was a fact of the day. Yeah. So it's a good thing they practiced bundling (laughs) so that the body lices couldn't mingle before marriage. (laughs) They needed to get to know each other. (laughs) So how long have you been a body lice? (laughs) Louse. All right. So that is it. Yes. For this Regency era edition of Amy Repeats History and Fashion Backwards. That's right. We will post some of this stuff throughout the week. Mm -hmm. You can check it out. And until next time, up Up yours yours downstairs, downstairs. luncheon out. Thank you.